Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lovstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff at Lovstofan are grateful that you are joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The following was recorded on Sunday, May 21st, 2023. Today's message title, God's People Are Singing People, a message from the book of Nehemiah chapter 12. So this is our second to last sermon in the book of Nehemiah. As we dive into chapter 12, which focuses on uh, the worship of God's people as they gathered together in the temple. It's a long chapter to read, but I, I, wanna, I want you to notice some of the highlighted phrases as we see different people in the nation of Israel serving in different functions in the worship of God. Um, but today, however, before we start, I wanna, I wanna start by highlighting that this text, it deals with one act of worship, which is singing of God's people, worshiping God through song. But I don't know about you guys, but I grew up thinking that worship is singing. Any, anybody's, anybody grew up that way? Worship is basically the singing on Sundays. And then I, my, my mind was blown when I got to Ephesians chapter four and Romans chapter 12, where it basically says all of life is worship. It's not only what we do on a two hour window on a Sunday, but rather it's, it's, it's how we speak. It's how we think. It's how we behave. Um, and so it, it, it includes singing to be sure, but it's not limited to singing. But today we are focusing on the singing of God's people. In Luke 10, 27, just to highlight this, Jesus says this, this is the, the first and the most important commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So yes, worship can be singing on a Sunday, but it's also working faithfully on a Monday. When you have an annoying boss to remember you're here to please God and not your boss, to extend forgiveness on a Tuesday is your act of worship. To lead your children well on a Wednesday is your act of worship. To giving away your finances when you meet someone in financial need, that is an act of worship. All of life, when you come to Christ, all of a sudden has a deeper and spiritual meaning behind it. But in some ways, singing encompasses all of this, these aspects of worship and our love of God. Because as we sing out the truths about God, our hearts and our souls are touched. As we sing, we are using our strength. I don't know about you guys, but I was uh, sweating quite a bit as, as we were singing. And if you weren't, bring your A game next, next week. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so uh, you're using your physical strength as you sing out. And as we sing out biblical truths, we're also informing our minds about who God is. But I don't know about you, maybe I'm the only one doing this. I've often wondered, especially since there is sometimes within churches, a, a big disagreement about the styles of music that we use. I've often wondered why God cares about music. There seems to sometimes be a lot of drama around this aspect. And I've asked myself, well, can't we just be a church that preaches and skip the singing part, part since it's so, um, since it gets so hotly debated. But as you look at the Bible, 
here we are, you know, we're talking about a people that lived 2,600, 2,500 years ago. They're singing. And as the church started, they were singing. And all throughout the, the life of the church, God's people have been singing people. And one of the identifying markers of God's people is that throughout thousands of years, we have been singing for some reason. And in fact, when you, when you get to the New Testament, uh, we're not only told that singing is a good idea, we're told to sing. It's a, a command from Paul the Apostles to the Ephesians. He says this, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalm and hymns and spiritual songs. I don't know about you guys, but that sounds to me like a musical. Like as we walk out of here today, don't just talk normally to one another. If you see an opportunity to spring out and uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but there addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual song, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I get to a question, which is why does God instruct us to sing? Maybe it's because singing encompasses our heart, our soul, our strength and our mind, perhaps. Or could it be, for instance, if we think about who God is, if you flip to the first page of your Bibles in Genesis chapter one, what is the first thing that we learn about God? In the beginning, God created, right? These are the first sentences we learn about God. And we learn two attributes in this text about God. First. In the beginning, God, meaning God is eternal, right? But also the second attribute, God created. So God is a creator. So could it be that he has called his people who are created in his image to use their creativity to glorify God? Perhaps, perhaps. Or maybe, maybe is this a way for us to learn about God in an easy manner? Like, how many of you teach your kids the alphabet by a song, right? How many of you, it's just three of us. So the rest of you are just strictly by the book. No, I'm just kidding. I think all of us, like to me, I, I was doing this yesterday. Uh, like we, we have a rhyme to remember which months have 31 days in them instead of 30. Right? And I can't help but when I think about a month, I have to go through this rhyme to remember if there's 31 days or 30 days in a, in a day. <laughs> the same with the alphabet. Sometimes I have to like quickly run over the song, like, like fast forward a bit, but that's how I remember the alphabet even still today. So could it be that God is trying to teach his people in an effective manner, truths about God by song, perhaps? But then I was on Facebook uh, and, and God used it in a, God glorifying manner just once. That was the one time that God used my Facebook scrolling through. I'm just kidding. Uh, and Daniel Maxson was sharing a quote. Uh, it, it was by uh, a lyricist. And he said this about music. And I thought it was profound. And it's kind of stuck with me ever since Daniel Maxson shared. He said, words make you think a thought. Music makes you feel a feeling. A song makes you feel a thought. And I was like, Whoa, <laughs> that is awesome. That is, that is so awesome. I feel like he said something in one sentence that I would need a whole sermon to, 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 to say, basically. Like, man, people are smart out there. Well, I think it may be all of the above, right? We're praising God with song. 
that touches and utilizes our heart, our soul, our strength and our mind. It allows us to be creative and therefore reflect our creator God. It allows us to remember who God is in an easy manner. And it allows us not just to simply think about a thought, but feel a thought. Like, I don't know about you, but we're singing today. I was like, man, this is different than hearing someone just read out the lyric. Like the way we are singing the lyrics makes you feel what you're being, what's being said. And music has a tendency to get us into that state of mind, right? Anybody, anybody here uh, that, that would be shy about sharing your workout playlist, for instance, it's just, just how like, how poppy and, and uh, maybe hardcore rocks going on so that you can be pumped up for the gym. Like we feel that a music has a tendency to get us into a state of mind. That's, that's what I do when I'm tired and I'm going to the gym. I know uh, it's not a time for a lecture right now or an audiobook. It's time for my workout playlist, right? It's time to implement the workout playlist and get me into that state of mind. But also the devil works hard to pervert and ruin which can be good at times. As much as it is awesome to feel a thought that is based on the truth of God, God's people also can be led astray by music that simply makes us feel feelings without feeling a thought. It's based on the melody, the the vibe of the song, but nothing in the song is actually about God. Having touched and transformed souls that experience emotions can easily lead to emotionalism, right? I don't think emotions are bad, but when they're leading the way, when your faith is based on goosebumps, let me tell you, they fade away pretty quickly. With a whole emphasis is on how you feel. If that's what your faith is about, let me tell you, walking through the valley of the shadow of death is not going to be a fun experience. Walking through grief and pain, it's not going to be a fun experience. But all that to say, let's read together 47 verses, will you? Let's stand up and read together these verses again. If you're looking for baby names, lots of, lots of good candidates here in the text. But I've highlighted some verses that I want you to just think about as we read through them. Nehemiah 12. These are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua. Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Maluk, Hattush, Shechaniah, Rehum, Merimoth, Iddo, Ginnethoi, Abijah, Mijamin, Madai, Bilga, Shemaiah, Yoireb, Yadiah, Salu, Amok, Hilkiah, Zediah. These were the chiefs of the priests and of their brothers in the days of Yeshua. And the Levites, Yeshua, Binui, Kidmiel, Sherebiah, Judah, and Mataniah, who with his brothers was in charge of the songs of thanksgiving, and Bakbukiah and Uni and their brothers stood opposite them in the service, and Yeshua, the father of Joachim, Joachim, the father of Elishib, Eliashib, the father of Joida, Joida, the father of Jonathan, and Jonathan, the father of Jadua. I like how just normal names come up. Jonathan, okay. That was, that was easy. Okay. Back to the, the other names. And in the days of Joachim were priests, heads of fathers' houses of Sariah, Meriah, uh, the Jerem, uh, of Jeremiah, Hananiah, of Ezra, Meshulam, of Amariah, Yeho, Yehohanan, of Maluki, Jonathan, of Shebaniah, Joseph, of Harim, Adna, of Merioth, 
Helkai of Iddo, Zechariah of Ginnathon, Meshulam of Abijah, Sikri of Min, Mini Amin of Maudiah, Hiltai of Bilga, Shamua of Shemaiah, Jehonathan. Oh, that was true. Of Joyreb, Metaniah of Jediah, Uzi of Salai, Kalai of Amok, Eber of Hilkiah, Hesibiah of Jediah, Nathaniel. In the days of Eliashib, Joida, Yohanan, and Yedua, the Levites were recorded as heads of fathers' houses. So too were the priests in the reigns of Darius the Persian. As for the sons of Levi, their heads of fathers' houses were written in the book of Chronicles until the day of Yohanan, the son of Eliashib. And the chiefs of the Levites, Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Yeshua, the son of Kadmiel, with their brothers who stood opposite them to praise and to give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God, watch by watch. Mataniah, Bakbokiah, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talmon, and Akub were gatekeepers standing guard at the storehouses uh, of the gates. These were in the days of Joachim, the son of Yeshua, son of Yozadak, and in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest and scribe. And at the de- dedication of, of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought uh, the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophites. Also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Azmaveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up unto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south of the wall to the Don Gate and after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah. And Azariah, Ezra, and Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zakur, son of Asaph. And his relatives, Shemaiah, Azaral, Milalai, Gilalai, Mai, Nathaniel, Judah, and Hanani with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshanan, Yeshana, and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God and I and half of the officials with me and the priests, Eliakim, Masaiah, Minin, Mini Amin, Micaiah, Elionai, Zechariah, Hananiah with trumpets and Masaiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Yehonan, Malchijah, Elam, and Ezra, and the singers sang with Yezrahiah, 
as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. And this is the verse I wanna focus on today. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the proportions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns of for Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son, Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asa, there were directors of, of the singers and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. Amen. Let's be seated. Okay. So one of the things I, I commented a little bit about uh, the list of names last week. Uh, one of the things I mentioned was that, man, it may sometimes be hard for us to go to the list of names or even care about who these people were. We just want to get to the quote unquote meat, right? One of the things when you go into a list of names like this, uh, I would recommend that you stop for a moment and remember that this book that we read is not just uh, another story. This is, these are real people in real time experiencing real uh, pains of life, joys of life in a real place. It's talking about gates and you may not know where the dung gate is, which is just a funny name for a gate or the fishing gate or all that, but to at least know this is a real play. This is not just a story. Um, first, I want to dwell on this, the gathering of God's people. Uh, it's interesting because you look at the entire Bible that the focus and, and God's way really to care for his people for them is to be gathered like we're doing here today. We're kind of continuing on the tradition of God's people throughout the ages to gather, to be informed as we've seen in previous chapters, they're, they're reading the word of God to them and they're explaining it to the people and the people are being transformed and they're being shepherded on this sort of macro level, if you would. Um, but also when you look into certain passages of scripture, God is commanding his people to come together on a macro level like this in big groups like this, but also you see God zoom in and say, hey, I also want my people to be shepherded on a, on a micro level, um, right? You, you get to passages like Deuteronomy chapter six, where he is talking to parents and he's saying, hey, man, these truths of God, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It is not only for us to recite and remember as we gather together, but he's telling the parents, no, this is for you to teach. And I love how he says to teach. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. What is he saying? He's not saying setting up a classroom in your house. He's just saying, whenever you have opportunity to point to God, and teach your kids about God in a practical or theoretical manner, use the opportunity. And actually, I find it verse interesting because have you, have you noticed that Icelanders tend to hang above their doors this uh, a lot, like 
the Lord bless this house. Um, and I actually wonder if it came from this verse eight, you shall bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be as frontless between, between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He's saying, hey, make sure, teach your kids when you're walking with them, when you're working with them, when you're lying down with them, teach your kids by making the environment testify about the greatness of God. We also see this in the New Testament where he talks about older ladies teaching younger ladies, younger, older men teaching younger men. Similarly, we see this in the beginning of the church in Acts chapter two, when the spirit has arrived, people are coming to faith. And what do we see? Day by day, they attended the temple together, macro level, big gatherings, and bringing bread in their homes, micro level, shepherding going on. So I want you to be aware of this as we dive into Nehemiah 12, because we're focusing on a really big gathering in the temple. And I want you to remind, remember this. Have you, have, like, I keep on asking you questions and none of you want to answer the questions, but let me, just, <laughs> let me just put it this way. Did you know, I'm not going to ask you that. Did you know, fun fact about the temple? Anybody want to guess how big the temple was? Let's see. I, I'm going to ask that question. Yeah, I'm going to ask that. Anybody want to guess how big the temple was? Like this? Okay. This is 700 square meters. Twice as big as this. Actually, it was about a third of the size of this building. This is 700 square meters. It was around 250 square meters. Like if you, if you look at the huge plateau where, where people go to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem and you see this huge area, if the temple was on that area, it would only cover 1% of that plateau or less than 1%. It was a tiny temple through all of Jerusalem. And it's not big at this moment. It was like 50,000 people still. It's a 250 square meter place. Like that's around some houses, the homes that people live in today, right? So you have these people and it's, I just imagine like chaos, people gathering all over the place. They're running around the walls and they're worshiping God together. Uh, so this is definitely sort of a, a macro level gathering here. It is crucial for God's people to gather, but also it serves the purpose to inform and transform us so that we can scatter well. That's the whole point. We want to come together as we worship. We want to rekindle the gospel flame that we have. And we want to take that gospel light into our workplaces. And it may not look like you setting up a classroom to teach people about God. It may simply be you with open eyes and open ears to say, God, how, how can you use me in the life of my kids, in my work, in my school, and so on. So be aware of this. Even if as we gather like this, you may say, man, it doesn't feel like I have a place to serve here. We all have a ministry. It may be to partake in a gathering like this, or it may be as we go out to testify about God. Now, secondly, I want to highlight that the text has a lot of different instruments, right? We, Read, there are two choirs. And I was thinking to myself as we were singing today, it's like, man, it would be an awesome to have a choir. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, th I think that way. And then I reminded myself that actually we do. <laughs> I just stopped singing for a bit and I heard all of you sing. <laughs> the whole church was acting like a choir. But also in the, in the text, we see, we see trumpets, we see cymbals, we see harps, we see lyres, which is basically the ancient equivalent of a sick guitar, you know? Um, but when you look at the Bible as a whole and you count up all the instruments that you see there, you see something like 22 different instruments. There are 
uh, wind instruments, horns, percussion, string instruments. And I find it interesting because, like I said earlier, there's been a lot of infighting in some churches about the styles of music. And I was like, man, it would be awesome if you could just go to Third Chronicles and be like, everybody should do classical worship. Okay, okay, we're going to do classical worship. But that's not what the Bible says. What we get in the Bible is this whole broad spectrum of different instruments that could be, could be used for so many different, uh, different uh, styles of worship. Uh, Elliot was telling me that there's a church in Finland that just, what, what, what is it called? What is it, metal, like metal worship? But we should pray for them. Uh, no, I'm just, it's bad. <laughs> but uh, but there's, there's a broad spectrum of styles that could be used. I, for one, am not going to go to a church with metal worship, <laughs> just to be sure. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but also what we do see in the scriptures is the songs are very different. Like we read a few times in our text today that what they were doing together was to celebrate. But you read through the Psalms, which are the ancient songs of the Israelites. And you see that some of them are just praising God. Some of them are praising God that reveals himself in nature. Some of them are praising God, how he met them when they were in a time of need. Some of them are also just weeping. Some of the songs are just, God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of this? And I love that because like, to me, that, that seems to indicate that man, God's people are called to just sing songs that are different from one another. And the way we approach that in our church is to basically say, man, we believe God gives you gifts to build us up. And so to look around and see, all right, who has God sent our way? What skills do they have that can build us up? And then let them worship in the style that, that they they've feel called to. But I wanna, I wanna take the time to think about the purpose of worship. And this ties into this. As we worship through song, we are prescribing worth to the one who is worthy of all of honor and glory. And that's what we're doing in our singing. Make no mistake about it. Every one of us, not just in this room, every living human being is a worshiping creature. God has created us for worship. Some of you may need to shift your mindset a little bit into thinking about people, not in a manner of do they worship or do they not worship, but rather what does he or she worship or who does he or she worship? Because everyone, be it in this church or outside of this church is a worshiping creature. Uh, and in songs, we sometimes reveal what we worship. Almost any song that you listen to, I'm not just talking about Christian songs. I'm just talking about every song in general is prescribing worth to someone or something, right? It may be money. It, it may be a certain lifestyle that is prescribing worth to. It may be pride that it's prescribing worth to or success or whatever else. I, for one, am just astonished by the amount of rap songs that revolve around being able to rap. Right? There are rappers who sing entire songs about how good they are at rapping. Can you imagine if we sing a song here about how great of a singer I am? Like, that's so weird to me, right? And what is that? Prescribing worth to your own ego, to your own pride. 
every song that you listen to is prescribing worth to something and we're all worshiping creatures. So instead of asking the questions, am I worshiping someone or something? Ask yourself, what am I worshiping? Who am I worshiping? Who are the people around me worshiping? Um, and when we sing songs that recognize repentance, when we sing songs that recognize this, the sorrows in life, what we're doing is to put our sorrows and repentance into an eternal context to say, man, I don't want to just focus on the suffering, but to remind myself, God is here somewhere. Even if I don't see it right now, he is here somewhere. Some of the sorrowful Psalms in the Bible, they, they ask the question, God, where are you in the midst of this? but also to zoom out and to see the Christian perspective of knowing that God is in it with us, that our repentance is turning away from sin to someone better. Christian worship is not to simply be about our feelings or our actions alone, but rather the one who gives you hope, that gives you feelings of hope, that gives you feelings of joy that is not robbed from you tomorrow, but that is based on the one who lives forever. The one who drives our actions as we seek to worship him and spirit truth. So when we sing songs, it's supposed to be God-centered. That is the primary role of worship. So our main point is to prescribe worth and honor to God, just as the Israelites were doing there. But also as we zoom into verse 43, we see that there's some extra consequences of their worship. It says there, and they offered great sacrifices that day and they rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. That's awesome. God gives them this great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced and the joy of Jerusalem was heard from far away. I like that. Not the songs of Jerusalem, the joy of Jerusalem was heard from far away. So the worship of God's people is not only a reminder for us, it's not only a chance for us to come after maybe a rough week or maybe a good week, to refocus on eternity, to remind ourselves that no matter how well things are going, eternity is yet to come. And that is far better than anything that this week had to offer. And also to know if you're in the valley, man, eternity is coming. It's a chance for us to refocus, but not only that, it's also an opportunity for testimony of those around us. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've had friends who come to me after going through difficult you know, circumstances in life who were kind of quietly watching from afar. And one of the things that they testified to us is, is, man, hey, I actually saw you more than ever in your faith during this hard period. These are not Christians. They're just, they're just uh, curious about faith as you go through difficult circumstances. To people in nearby villages, here they heard the joy of Jerusalem. They heard the joyous songs. Perhaps these are people who love God or perhaps these are the enemies of God who up until this point in Nehemiah have been trying to tear down the walls of Jerusalem. Remember, they're surrounded by people who first they tried to mock them for trying to rebuild Jerusalem. Then they tried to threaten them. And now all of a sudden, they may just be tested, uh, just hearing the joy coming out of Jerusalem seeing the testimony of God's people, a testimony that even though they may have tried to mock them or manipulate them or even threaten with physical harm and death, they could not take their joy. And they heard this song of victory because if the enemies had not managed to stop them, 
in building these walls or homes, but had managed to silence their worship. Who would have won in this scenario? If the book of Nehemiah would have ended in chapter 10, where the walls have been rebuilt, but the people of God are just so tired, so exhausted to ever sing a song again, who really won in that story? Sure, the walls have been rebuilt. The temple is there, but worship has been silenced. Now, our joy is untouched. But then another consequence of worship is community. We see this in verse 29. Also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Azmaveth, for the singers have built themselves villages around Jerusalem. Those who serve together tend to grow close together. Not only did they spend their days serving as they sung, but they grew closer to start living in proximity with one another. I was just watching a sort of historical movie based on historical events about people who were uh, sort of serving in a, in a UN peacekeeping force uh, in the Congo back when things went really, really bad. Um, and I don't know about you, but I've heard so many of these stories, uh, be it on documentaries about military people who served together, who went through difficult times together, but stuck through it, that they have these friendships that will just last a lifetime because of what they're already gone through, because of the suffering that they shared together. Now all of a sudden they have this deep-rooted community and deep-rooted friendship that really rivals anything else that you see. And you see this trend all over the place. Like, where do adults make friends? <laughs> when you're done with school and you don't get to ditch a friend and then recruit for a new best friend, what do you make friends? You, you make friends in the workplace. Some of the strongest friendships for a lifetime are formed in military assignments like the military and so different. So our worship is number one, designed to adore God and make much of God. And yet the consequences of worship, of serving together can create community. And if you'd like to get plugged into our church, especially if you're a man, like I tend to feel sometimes I just want to do something with other people, not necessarily sit down and just talk but rather like serve alongside of someone, um, then please feel free to plug into our church. Like there are ways that you can serve and worshiping on a Sunday together. And, um, and I would recommend that you serve with others. This doesn't have to be simply in singing as well. You may be in here like, okay, Gunnar, well, I'm not a great singer, but I'll be here next Sunday. You know, I was like, no, no, no. There, there are ways that we can serve because we see it in the text. We see it in these different verses in verse seven and 25 and 44. We see that there's all types of people doing various ministries to facilitate the people of God worshiping together. What is the point there? Like even today, Johanna is she's teaching our kids about Jesus in a way that helps them understand and giving some of the parents a room to breathe and just to, to dwell on the word of God for a little bit. There are ways that we can serve one another in this sort of gathering spaces that we have. Now, there are many ways to serve God, both to do with a macro level, like, like an event like this, like, like a, a gathering like this, which is the church gathered, but also as you scatter throughout the week to have a person that you can open up to and say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what's going on in my life. This is how you can be praying um, to, to be a part of some of the small groups that we have going on. Uh, I was actually talking with Diego this week about the different small groups. And I was, as I was counting them up, I was kind of surprised how many different small groups we have. So 
if you want to get plugged into that. But if you want to serve in some way, because many of you have approached me and said, Gunnar, I really, really want to serve in some way, then I would recommend that you go to our website, lostalmy.church slash serve. And there you can read about all the various opportunities and how much it takes to serve and how much time it takes and so on and so forth. Um, but it helps us, number one, praise God. It allows us to testify to others who are far off and it also allows us to grow in community. And let me specifically talk with those of you who have a passion for serving God through singing and playing instruments. Develop that gift. I don't know about you, and I keep saying that. <laughs> I really hope you feel the same way I do, but like the worship today, I don't know, it ministers to me in a way that very few other things do. And I'm so thankful. And it's just, I'm so thankful for two people on stage being here, leading us in this way and blessing us with their gifts. I'm actually curious, how many of you in here either play an instrument or can sing? Okay. See, that's about a third of the church, maybe. I would please recommend cultivate that gift. And if you can use that on a Sunday, Lizzie, did you raise your hand? You didn't raise your hand, did you? <laughs> busted, busted brother. Uh, <laughs> I would recommend cultivate that gift and use it to, to bless the people around you. Develop that gift. And as, as uh, Paul says to Timothy, fan that gift into flames. Not only am I excited to see how people can use that gift to, to build us up, that we would praise God together. And that's one of the things that we kind of have to remember. All these players of instruments, all these choirs, they're not there to put on a show. They're not there so the people of God can come and stand silently and say, wow, these are really skilled people. Rather, they're there to lead the rest of God's people into praising God together, right? I don't care what the style of music that we do here at the church, the point of it is, that we would sing it together, right? And that we would sing it loudly and by the grace of God, confidently, and that he would make a joyful noise come out of us. And I, not, a, not a good sounding noise, perhaps, but a joyful one. Yeah, <laughs> That he would make it so that we would be experiencing the joy of God. Um, but I'm not, only, I'm not only excited about how people can use their musical gifts to help us praise God together. But also in a culture like ours that tends to incline, have an inclination towards creativity and beauty a lot, looking at verse 43 in the text and seeing how the joy of Jerusalem spread out from the walls of Jerusalem to the people around them. I'm like, man, let that be said of us. Let the joy of our praise, let, let the creativity of the people singing together making songs, recording songs, whatever, to reach beyond the walls of this church, to reach people with the glorious good news of Jesus who might never come to a service to hear a sermon, but might listen to a song that testifies of the greatness of Jesus. And we live in a time where there are very few people here in Iceland thinking about how to share Jesus with people. Meanwhile, there are people every day dying and facing judgment of God, no hope of a savior. 
And if you're in here and you have a gift to play instruments, to sing, to lead God's people in song, to create songs, please fan that gift into flames. But lastly, I want to say this. Worship through music is not entertainment. And I want to show it here. It's to glorify God. In, in verse 30, it says that the priests and those leading the worship, they purified themselves. God does not care about beautiful songs, beautiful melodies, or magnificent words if they come from dead hearts. In purifying themselves, they communicate to us that this is not simply about the songs that they're singing. Like there are serious passages like Isaiah chapter one. I would just recommend that you read the entire passage. Uh, I think Psalm 24 is similar. God communicates to his people that says, man, I've started to despise your gathering. I've started to hate it when you come together and sing. I just want to close my ears. I despise the offerings that you do. And you're like, wait, God, why? You told your people to do this. You told them to sing. You told them to bring offerings. Like, why do you despise these things? And the whole point is, it's become an event. It's become a production. It's become more about you than about the point of this all, which is about God. Yes, you performed some actions. You, you were singing words, but it came from dead hearts that didn't love God. The Bible tells us without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can be the most skilled musician. You can be the most skilled singer. You can sing with flowery tones and just awesomeness, right? And God does not care at all if it comes from a dead heart. He doesn't want our skills. He wants our hearts, hearts that are surrendered to God. And you may say, oh, well, it's a good thing that the musicians and the Levites had to purify themselves. I only have to come on a Sunday and attend. No, but in verse 43, remember, who's a part of this worship? It's not just the singers, not just the choirs, everybody. Men, women, children. Parents, let your kids see you worship. Let others far away see your joy in God. The only acceptable worship of God is coming from purified hearts. Your songs no matter how impressively you play them or how loudly you sing them, they don't impress God if your hearts do not believe in Him. You and I, we have to be purified. And the only way for us to be purified is by repenting of our sin and turning to Jesus. So let go of the things that have been pulling us on and turning to the one who is better than all of them. Jesus gave, Jesus embraced death to give you life. He took on fill of your sin on that cross so that you could be purified by his righteousness. Do you realize how crazy this is? If you're a Christian, which means you have surrendered your life to Christ, if you accept the offering of Christ, 
and you give your life to Christ, you follow him. The Bible says we have the imputed righteousness of Christ. I love how Paul the Apostle says again and again throughout the New Testament, you are in Christ. It's this image of being wrapped up in Christ. So when you stand before God, you are justified. When, when God sees you, he doesn't see all of your sins and failings that's been nailed to the cross. Colossians 2 says he took the dead that stood against us and nailed it to the cross. He sees the righteousness of Christ. So all of you, what you do with your life is not to earn his righteousness. It's not to earn his love, but rather because he's already loved. That's why we want to do communion every week. We want to remember the love of Christ. That's the only way for us to be once and for all purified. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Maybe you came in here today ready to sing some song. Perfect. Maybe you sing them beautifully. But the only beautiful songs that God hears comes from purified hearts. And the only purified hearts that exist have been purified by the work of Christ. So if you're in here today, and you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior and as your Lord, there's no better gift that I have to share with you than that. It will change your life and your eternity. If you're in here and you wanna take that step today, please talk with me after the service. I would love to pray with you. But for those of us who are Christians who have already taken this step, let's remember Christ. Let's remember his broken body as we take communion. Let's remember his blood that was shed for us. And let's remember to, to let this drive us on. Let us live in light of the sacrifice and the love that Jesus has already given you. Let's go and glorify him. Let's sing. Let's sing loudly and joyfully. Let's praise God together. And then let's scatter together with that gospel flame lit to be a light wherever God would call you tomorrow or next week. So if you're in here and you've surrendered your life to Christ, he is your Lord and he is your savior. Please remember Christ with us in the communion during this next song. Let me just pray for us. Father, I pray that we would be a singing people, but not only singing people, that we would be singing by faith, that we would remember the hope that we have in you, the joy that we have in you, that we would remember the only way for any of our songs to be beautiful to you, is because of what you've already done for us. And now as we remember your son, Jesus Christ, as we remember the great sacrifice for our sin, may we seek to glorify you this week. May the joyful songs of our praise be seen outside of these walls, outside of this gatherings. May our worship testify of your greatness above everyone and everything else. And may we seek to honor you with our lips, with our thoughts, with our hearts and with our hands this week. May we glorify you. May we worship you. Now, as we sing, as we remember, as we study your word, and as we go into life, seeking to make you known, may we glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kirka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with The Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. 
If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Iceland.